Star Wars fun for everyone, especially me. I like the sound of that. Hey everybody, welcome to Star Wars fun for everyone, especially me. This is episode four and I'm your host, Tom Sutton. All right, uh, I got basically two main things I am in the mood to talk about before we get on to the next scene of The Rise of Skywalker. Uh, in the last couple of days, I've had a really fun time with a couple of things. Uh, number one, so um, for whatever reason, here in Sweden, the Blu-ray for The Rise of Skywalker does not come out until May 4th. Now, of course, a lot of you uh, out there will recognize that date as the, uh, I don't know if it's official or unofficial, uh, International Star Wars Day. May the 4th be with you. So um, I have to assume that uh, that's something to do with it. Um, but uh, I'm not sure why it's coming out like six weeks later than the entire rest of the world. Um, but... the it is what it is. Um, so, obviously, there are nefarious means by which uh, one can get your hands on a home copy of it, uh, and I have done that. But um, I, I think you know, the first time that I really sit down and just watch the movie as a movie, um, I want it to be, uh, you know, in good quality and um, kind of. I want to make a bit of an occasion of it. And so I'm kind of waiting till the Blu-ray comes out f to do that. Uh, but the, the nice thing about that is that I can um, do another saga rewatch leading up to that. Um, I did that mo uh, uh, mostly with my friend Amanda leading up to the cinema release of the film. It was really fun. And now I'm doing the same thing. Um, leading up to my first proper home watch of that one. So um, because I'm not a huge fan of the prequels, I am skipping those. Um, but I started with Solo, watched that a couple weeks ago, I guess. And then uh, a couple nights ago, I uh, felt like, all right, it's time for Rogue One. Now, uh, what I can say about that film is that um, everyone else, at least, you know, for a long time, everyone else seemed to like it more than I did. Um, it seems like the film that uh, is least controversial uh, from the new era. It's uh, it seems like a, a movie that most people enjoy to uh, some degree. Um, uh, I know, you know, there are friends of mine who feel like that it's by you know by far the best of the new films, and uh, even. Uh, one friend, Hi Yuan, who, um, as a pretty new fan of the of the saga, felt like that was his favorite Star Wars film, full stop. So you know that's great. Um, I I'm all about Star Wars enthusiasm, so whatever form it takes is fine with me. Um, <clears throat> but as for my own response to the movie, um, I remember you know. On its cinematic run, I remember coming out of the theater thinking I liked it. But after The Force Awakens, which really, it really um, hit, you know, hit me in the right spots 
uh, regarding Star Wars feels. Um, following that film, I have to say I didn't, I wasn't in love with it. And I think that with The Force Awakens, uh, one of the one of the absolute uh, kind of miracles they pulled off was introducing new characters that uh, would really resonate with people. Um, uh, I found, you know, I, I loved The Force Awakens on my first viewing, and within a few viewings, I was just totally uh, taken with the characters of Ray, Finn, and Kylo Ren, especially Ray. I just um, all that kind of magic and um, that you know mystery and adventure that's kind of in that is the part of you in your heart that responds to Star Wars. I, I felt was in that character and um, in that story. Um, and after having a bit of a challenging time in the prequel era, which uh, went for a long time, you know, if you include the Clone Wars and everything, f for me to have that a new Star Wars film that really just <laughs> was, you know, just soared, you know, with all its Star Wars goodness. You know, I was so happy. Uh, it felt like a, almost like a feeling of rebirth to me. So when uh, Rogue One came out, you know, leading up to the film, I really liked the, the concept. I thought it was a great idea. I liked um, this, um, this plan they had for... Uh, Standalone films, despite the clunky, uh, the McClunky, if you will, the McClunky um, tagline, a Star Wars story. I'm not, <laughs> I mean, that sounds really like uh, the kind of thing that comes up after endless hours of uh, debate and discussion in the boardroom, and finally everyone kind of compromises and we end up with something that no one really likes. So uh, we had, you know, we have Rogue One, a Star Wars story, so, uh, Solo, a Star Wars story. I guess those are the only a Star Wars stories we're ever going to get because, um, well, I don't need to tell you how that has all gone. But, um, yeah, so I was, I was pumped leading up to it. Uh, the Force Awakens had basically just ticked, kicked, you know, 10 goals in a single game for me, Star Wars-wise. And I was ready to have a good, a good time with Rogue One. Now, uh, why, why didn't I love it? I think um, the one criticism that, that you hear most if people are uh, criticizing that film is to do with its characters. Um, Perhaps they're not as uh, deep or relatable as, uh, you know, the, the Star Wars characters that are now considered classics. And I think that probably had a lot to do with it. Um, I can... I, I, let's, I mean, let's go through it. What, what didn't I love about that film? Yes, I felt like the characters were like, they were okay. Um, I didn't really have those moments that really drew me into them and made me almost like want to be their friends. Um, I thought the characters looked cool, uh, which is actually pretty important. But um, yeah, I didn't fall in love with them. I, I felt like 
Jin was cool. She, um, you know, I, I like the idea of the character, but it did, she didn't have those, you know, the moment um, when Ray is eating dinner outside her Atat homestead, and she's like munching away and just kind of like like <laughs> like licking the plate because I mean she's on her own. Doesn't have to have manners, you know. Nobody's watching. And she picks up that old X-Wing helmet and slaps it on. And I, to me, that just like, it just plugged me straight into the, like my most kind of simple childlike self, you know, when I saw her character behaving like that. And I guess I never got that kind of thing with, uh, with Jin. I liked Cassian. He was like, um, it was nice to see a kind of a non-typical, like, muscly leading man type uh, in the role. Again, like, cool guy. It was all right. Um, Chirrut and Baze. I mean, I, I had a big Hong Kong cinema phase in my life. So I'm a, I'm a fan of, um, of Donnie Yen. Um, but I just I felt like the way that... He just, yeah, I don't know. That especially he, it felt like a bit of a, uh, um, a, a kind of st stereotype of the kind of the blind swordsmaster, swordmaster in a way. Actually, I found later, I found out later, you know, watching making of stuff or reading on on it that the the blindness was actually Donnie Yen's idea. Of course, that that, that was actually a good move. It adds a lot to the character. Uh, K2SO was a total hit, yeah, great character, I have no complaints about him. Um, yeah, maybe those, so I, I think I can say the characters didn't quite resonate, me, resonate with me 100%, and that was probably the core of it. I think it, it missed that um, kind of wide-eyed, childlike uh, magic that um, is a part of Star Wars. You know, I think um, there are a lot of uh, people who, as they've gotten older, you know, they grew up on Star Wars, but now they're older and more adult, they kind of feel like, yeah, I want a dark and gritty Star Wars. And it's, it's I think that that sounds cool on paper, but that... Um, It's that kind of um, warmth and uh, that kind of imagination and um, hmm, I don't know the right word for it, but I, that's a real big part of the Star Wars soup, I think. And um, so, uh, yeah, I love the idea of a gritty, harder Star Wars film, but I, I also, once I was there, I think I kind of missed... I missed that fun ingredient a little bit. Um, so, uh, yeah, I remember coming out of the cinema going, that was very cool. There's a lot of great stuff. Um, yeah, the CGI Tarkin has never worked for me. You know what? So a lot of you have seen deep fake videos by now on YouTube, whatever. Um, there's a guy, I don't know his name, but he does George Lucas. He slaps on a wig and puts a pillow up his shirt gets the flannel and the white sneakers on, 
and he does uh yeah like funny videos as george lucas and his the deep fake on him is it's incredible like the hair looks fake the pillow up the shirt looks fake um it's clearly not george lucas but the technology is it's kicking ass like like the way his face moves the way he's like because I, I think like what what works least well for me with Tarkin is uh, when he's talking. If he's not talking, then I, I can buy the effect actually. Uh, but as soon as he starts talking, there's something about how the mouth moves that looks animated. Um, looks like a cutscene from a video game, and um, the uh, the uh, this deep fake of George Lucas. Um, <laughs> it's incredible actually like there's something like even when he's talking to me it's like i think you can really fool people with it so i feel a little bit disappointed like like rogue one came out in 2016 where four late four years later i feel like maybe the the uh the, the technology could have already come so much further that uh they could maybe maybe have done that effect a whole lot better. I mean, I agree. If you're going to do something with, uh, with the Death Star in the center of the story, Tarkin's got to be there. You know, I, I felt like if that was the state of the art at the time, then, you know, the, the first shot you see of him is, is like his face is reflected in, in, the, um, in these, you know, windows, basically, on the, death, on the Death Star. Or, no, 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 I think he's on a Star Destroyer. Anyway, um... And that works great, you know. Um, so if they had kind of tried to hide him a bit, I think you would have had a better luck with it. But um, okay. So yeah, at the end of the day, there were a few issues um, that made me s maybe stop me loving Rogue One. Um, now, I of course I saw it six times in the cinema. I got it home on Blu-ray, watched it, watched it again a couple times. Uh, and I watched it ooh, ah, six months ago or something, and then I watched it a couple of days ago. And these two last viewings, I have actually had a kind of a different experience with the film, which I'm super happy about. I am absolutely not one of these people who enjoys complaining about stuff. Uh, I feel like you know, this kind of outrage culture that we're living in these days where um, people seem to almost have, like, you know, it's almost like a, like a, pleasurable, a pleasurable experience to hate something. Um, I'm not that way, so I really, I want to love all, all Star Wars. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll talk specifically about two nights ago. I watched it and I had an awesome time with it. I think that um, I don't know. Something has really changed for me in my reaction to the movie. Like um, I think I've now had those characters around long enough that yes, I still I don't think they're as strong as um, as classic like Luke and Han, Leia and Rey, etc. But they've been around me long enough that I kind of, yeah, you know, I kind of, I can greet them as old friends a little bit at this point. 
which is a nice feeling. Um, that opening sequence of a young Jin and um, Krennic coming to uh, grab Galen Erso, I mean, I never had a problem with that. That's actually my favorite sequence in the whole film, I, I, I would say. I, I think it's fantastic. The way it opens with that uh, musical cue, um, Krennic's ship flying along this, like the shadowed rings of the planet, the black sand on Lamu, the, pla the planet that um, the Ursos are living on, and this incredible exchange between um, Galen and Krennic. The Death Troopers are awesome. I just, I think it rules. And I, I, I remember being in the cinema and boom, like I had tears in my eyes on the first viewing uh, in that sequence. I think it's a real, it's like it's, it's stylish, it's um, emotional, uh, it's very like subtly comedic. I mean, when Ben Mendelssohn says the line, oh, look, Lyra, back from the dead, it's a miracle. I mean, that's, ah, it's great villain stuff. So, um, yeah, I always love that, 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 that intro. Um, the, yeah, I, I and I, I think that, you know, when I got the Art of book for, for Rogue One, that in a way has maybe laid the groundwork for me to start to like the, like the movie more and more. I mean, the designs are fantastic. I love Krennic's ship. I love the U-Wing. K2SO is a really cool looking droid. And like, I mean, it's, of course, it bumps right up against episode four. So, um, yeah, visually... It's so packed with classic Star Wars goodness. Um, and I gotta, I gotta just jump in on the soundtrack, soundtrack quickly. Michael Giacchino, I mean, if you're a Star Wars nut, you'll know that um, <clears throat> they originally had uh, a composer called Alexander Desplat, or he uh, has a super unpronounceable name, so I know I'm screwing it up, but... Um, and for some reason that wasn't working out, so they put up the bat symbol, bat symbol to uh, to get Michael Giacchino in, and he had four weeks to write the entire thing. And I think he did a killer job, actually. There's, I mean, th the main theme I find kind of cheesy, especially on that title screen. Blech, it's not, it sucks. <laughs> Hang on, I need some chai tea. the whole rest of the soundtrack like for me when it comes to to Star Wars soundtracks like uh, there are soundtracks that I love for how effective they are in the films and then there's the other side of it which is how much do I enjoy listening to them away from the films um, now I'm not alone in that the original trilogy will always be the kind of you know, the core of my love of, of Star Wars. Of course, I love those brilliant, brilliant, brilliant soundtracks. Um, but you know what? I, I don't really listen to them outside of the films, and I don't really want to listen to them outside of the films. 
I feel like it's a, it's a little bit sacred, and I want that music to do what it was intended to do, which is to um, yeah, to uh, yeah, to do what soundtracks are supposed to do. So, uh, but there are yeah certain soundtracks that. Um, I have found to be really fun to listen to outside of the films. And uh, my favorites are Revenge of the Sith. That is a banger. I mean, it's... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it's the darkest of all the soundtracks. Uh, it's incredibly tasteful. Battle of the Heroes is, is awesome. Um, I mean, all the prequel soundtracks are killer. And Duel of the Fates is, you know... It, it can honestly go toe-to-toe -to -toe with any other musical theme ever created for any movie. <laughs> it's so awesome. Um, so Revenge of the Sith is maybe the one I've listened to most. Um, the Force Awakens soundtrack I have listened to a, a ton, and I am having a super fun time with the Rise of Skywalker soundtrack. I think at first I was like, especially, you know, the, there's that, um, like, the main theme which is titled The Rise of Skywalker. It's it's very, you know, for lack of a better term, Disney-ish, in that it's super cheerful and bright. Um, and, uh, to me, it's, it sounded it had a little bit of a cheesy, cheesy sound to it. Um, but I've grown to love that because, of course, you, I mean, this is supposed to be like the good guys winning once and for all. So it should be like a very purely happy um, theme. And there's a lot of killer stuff on there. And actually, for the two standalones, I have loved both those soundtracks as well. Um, the solo soundtrack is great. And the Rogue One soundtrack, I have played a whole lot. Um, so really, round of applause to Michael Giacchino for his great work on, on this. So um, mm, it's another thing that I've grown to really love about Rogue One. So uh, some other things that have kind of turned around for me in terms of my enjoyment of the film. Um, Saw Gerrera. Uh, I have, of course, you know, I saw his episodes in The Clone Wars. I saw his episodes in Rebels. Um, I just felt that Forrest Whitaker's performance was, it was just kind of, it was over the top and goofy. Um... I felt that the character was supposed to be really threatening. Um, and his line reading of, you know, like, Did you come here to kill me? It's like, oh, calm down, man. Like, it just felt like he's in a different movie. Like, everyone else is pretty playing it pretty straight down the line, and this guy's really chewing the scenery. Now, Perhaps I was reading that character wrong, uh, because what I've what I've done on the last two viewings is really taken an, uh, an approach to that character as I'm watching it as uh, more of a like a Jabba the Hutt kind of villainous presence. Yes, he's supposed to be threatening. Yes, he's supposed to be dangerous, but he's also supposed to be kind of funny. Um, and if I watch the, uh, his scenes from that perspective, then I really like the character. Because the rest of the film is pretty serious. 
Very serious, actually. You get K2 jokes, uh, but other than that, it's pretty grim. And um, maybe you needed like he him to be that splash of color that uh, would let the rest be as gray and grim as it needed to be. Especially, I mean, with I mean, Bor Gullet, that is that has to be that has to be a like a comedic kind of touch to to that creation. So, um, yeah, Saul Guerrero. And the Forest Whitaker's performance is clicking for me much better now than it used to. Uh, another thing that used to really bother me, uh, and maybe it still does bother me a little bit, <laughs> but um, again, maybe I'm old-fashioned, maybe I'm simple, but I didn't really love seeing the Rebels portrayed as um, f kind of fallible or multifaceted um i think that the simplicity of um good guys versus bad guys in the original trilogy it was it was great um is it subtle no does it reflect real life no uh is that the point no it's uh it's supposed to it's it's symbolic and this is a this is mythology so the battle between good and evil, I think it's, it's great that it's uh, represented by these kind of very clear agents on both, side, on both sides. So uh, when I saw Rogue One and you have, I mean, A, Cassian Andor executes a fellow member of the rebellion to protect the rebellion. Didn't sit super well with me, I got to say. Um, once you're on Yavin 4 and you're amongst uh, the rebels there, there's almost no warmth between them. There's, uh, there's not a lot to make them likable. Like, when you see them, like, are, are they that different to Imperials? just in terms of uh, how they come across on screen. Um, Mon Mothma, I mean, fantastic performance by, what is it, Genevieve O'Reilly or something? I don't remember. Uh, but, you know, one of the best recastings in history. She does great in that role. But, um, ah, what's his name? General, what's his face? The grumpy one. I mean, they're, they're all kind of grumpy, you know. Um, and I, I kind of, I think... It would have been nice to see a bit of, you know, the side of the the rebellion that makes you root for them, and this kind of idea, you know, that that Cassian gives, where it's like, oh, we've all done terrible things, you know, in the name of the rebellion. I just, is it more realistic? Yeah. Subtle, subtle in a way. Yeah, I guess, but. But I, that's not the rebellion I grew up with, and that's not the rebellion I really want to see. I love that they are the good guys. I love that, uh, you know, I want to see them slapping each other on the back, or I want to see hugs. I want to see, like, uh, may the force be with yous. Uh, because they are who we are, you know, cheering on. Now, um, on the last two viewings, that has shifted a little bit for me. I think I've just lived with it long enough. 
Um, and I guess I can frame it in a way where uh, things were looking really grim for the for the rebellion until Luke Skywalker turns up basically and um, pulls off a one in a million shot, and that's that's enough to kind of unite the alliance and uh, give them the win they needed to to go on. Uh, when you see, you know, Jin trying to con convince all these various factions to to team up to go to Scarif, and they're you know, they're not likable. <laughs> yeah, but um, uh, if I yeah, if I think of it in in the way of like uh, they needed they needed a big win, and Luke Skywalker gave them that, and that's what. Uh, was the injection of hope, which is a word you hear a lot, of course, in Star Wars. But that's the injection they needed to, um, to, uh, yeah, band together and really get on with it. So I, I guess I like that a bit better than I used to. Um, I mean, Krennic is a killer villain, one of the one of the best new characters in Star Wars. I love him. I mean, being from Australia, you can't help but feel a little bit proud to see Ben Mendelsohn. Really, um, going from from success to success uh, in Hollywood—it's great to see. Um, yeah, I, you know, sitting there on the sofa, I felt really a whole lot more invested um, than I had done in the past. And once you get to uh, the Battle of Scarif, which, yeah. It's one of the best space battles we've ever seen. Super stylish, visually incredible. Um, I love it. I love dogfight stuff. I love seeing the pilots. Um, the pilots, uh, you know, um, talking to each other. I love seeing TIE fighter pilots. It's, 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 that's just, that's Star Wars flavor country to me. And of course... Um, I mean, okay, I do have to talk about Vader for a second. Negatives first. The scene where um, Krennic visits him on Mustafar, it has some total A-plus amazing Vader stuff, but also some aspects that I think... Or, I just, I'm not sure how, they, how, it, how it got through the... Um, the edits, really. Um, when Krennic arrives and Vader's um, assistant or whatever that guy, that hooded guy is, and he comes in and Vader's in the back to tank. That's fantastic. I love it. He's flanked by Imperial Guards. It's so cool. And, I mean, uh, what is the reality of, of Vader's existence in that era? I guess that, that, that all fits for me. And it's just a really nice tinge of, of whoa, a lot of um, really nice, uh, sorry, I just uh, had a musical malfunction. Uh, yeah, that, um, that tinge of horror in there, is, it really works. Now, uh, when the door, the big door comes up, you see Krennic waiting, and the light is behind Vader, so you get this like huge looming shadow of Vader over Krennic 
on the wall. And I mean, that's 10 out of 10. Woo! Great Star Wars. Unfortunately, I, I think that uh, James Earl Jones' voice has changed. He's 80-something years old. I'm sorry. It, yes, it, sometimes it does sound like Vader from that era, and sometimes, to me, it just doesn't. Um, and I, I felt like, body language-wise, and something about the costume looks off to me. I actually, I, I, I gotta put my money where my mouth is and pull up some um, some images from that scene and some images from uh, the original trilogy. Put them side by side and try to work out what it is that something about the way the helmet is sitting just that doesn't look right. I mean, we'll get onto this other topic in a minute, but. Um, when I was watching, uh, you know, spoiler, spoiler alert, I watched episode four last night. And there were shots of Vader there where I, I do kind of think, like, if this was new Star Wars, would that shot, would I be okay with that? Maybe, you know, uh, you accept all that stuff because it's classic. You've seen it 8,000 times. So maybe there are shots in Rogue One that I don't like of Vader that if they had been back in the old films, then I would have no issue with them. But... As it stands, I am. I didn't love it. Um, and that sometimes, you know, even there are like, there are hand gestures that where you can really imagine that the the person performing Vader was saying lines or something, and then they've they've overdubbed the voice with totally different like timing. So the hand, like the pointing or whatever, is like. It <laughs> seems really random. Mm. Having said that, the Vader hallway scene with the Rebel Troopers is quite rightly already an iconic moment in Star Wars. I mean, to see Vader in full, just terrifying flight, um, it... it it really improves a whole range of things in the Star Wars world in, in that one scene. It I think it enriches what we know of Vader, how scary he is and how dangerous he is, why he is known as the, as the Emperor's Enforcer. And um, it also puts a whole lot of new meaning in the beginning of Episode 4. And when you see those rebel soldiers lined up along the corridor with their guns ready and they look scared and you have a pretty good idea now why they are as scared as they are mm, so that's fantastic um yeah so uh, yeah all around i think rogue one is visually fantastic i love it there are things about it that i'm less than in love with but uh, at least I'm extremely happy to report that uh, I like it now more than I did four years ago. Uh, so that's good news for me. All right. Now, I've mentioned uh, already that I saw episode four last night. 
And uh, the interesting thing there is that I finally got my hands on a good or like a large file size download of the despecialized edition of that film. Uh, for those playing at home, it is uh, edition 2.7. Uh, I have been trying to get uh, my hands on these for some time. The very arcane and bizarre downloading technique that was officially available for them was actually uh, kind of out of order when I first learned about it. And uh, so I've been just unable to get my hands on them in that way. Uh, on torrenting sites, you could get, of course, very compressed versions. That's not what I was after. But there are big versions out there in torrent land these days. So that is great. So I, uh, I downloaded it. And um, I don't know if you remember, but in episode one of this podcast, I mentioned that I, uh, I grabbed, um, what's it called? It's a version called something something seventy seven, where basically they found someone with uh, with a print of it at home that was uh, quite quite well um, preserved, of the you know the original, um, the original theatrical version, and they uh, basically did a digital like a yeah, that's right four K seventy seven I think it's called they did a four K scan of it. Um, and I thought that it looked incredibly grainy and pretty unwatchable, to be honest. I think that if it w if you projected it, you may on you know, um, maybe it would look pretty cool. But to me, it looked really uh, degraded. So um, once I got my hands on this despecialized edition. Um, I, I, you know, I did a bit of research and I saw that in general people are very positive about Hami's work on, on, uh, on, well, we'll just talk about episode four for now. Um, one issue that has, was raised about it was that especially I would say in the Tatooine scenes that, um, I mean, w one issue that Hami tried to fix that bothered him was, um, an accentuation of the magenta tones in the film by uh, whoever did the uh, the restoration for the special editions and the Blu-ray versions. Um, he felt that that did not represent the uh, the look of the film as it was in cinemas in '77 and '78. Um, so he part you know he. Hami and, and everyone who contributed to that version, they did a lot of different stuff to, um, to put that version together. But one of the things they did is to change the uh, color correction a bit. Um, I think they're pretty successful for the most part, but I have to agree with some people that <laughs> the skin tones, especially on Tatooine, are pretty yellow. So... Uh, that's that was one downside, and also I guess, I mean, this is the thing. Once you've watched the special editions a lot of times, 
um, especially if you're watching Blu-ray or 4K versions of the special editions, you get used to these old films looking their best. And I'm talking about the visual quality. If you slap in the Blu-ray or if you're lucky enough to have a 4K player or whatever to watch those, it's so crisp. You know, you put them next to other films from the 70s and uh, it's, you can, there's actually been a lot of work put in to make those films kind of um, look, uh, look um, clean and crisp in a way that they can sit next to modern films. Um, so watching this, the despecialized edition, I did notice that it was a bit, you know, grainier looking than I was used to. It wasn't quite as um, perfect in its visual quality as, uh, as the special edition Blu-ray or whatever. Um, but I'm happy to report I had an amazing time watching it. Um, speaking about episode four, there are of course um, some big moments that really bothered people about the special editions. Moment number one, the legendary Han shoot shot first scene. Great to see that in its original uh, form. The funny thing is I've seen, you know, special edition versions, not even version, but versions so many times now that it actually does come across as pretty brutal. Han executes the, the dude under the table. Now, the, I mean, Greedo was going to shoot him as well, so he's still, you know, you can defend his actions, of course. But, uh, yeah, it was funny to have that reaction when I, you know, I've always, I was never convinced by any of the special edition versions. It always felt like it was best for the scene and best for the character if Han shows that he can be really ruthless. Uh, so great to see that uh, the way it was originally intended. Um, great to see, you know, approach, the approach into Mos Eisley without the, <coughs> excuse me, Ronto and all that wacky business. Comedic. See, uh, this is the thing. I'm not, like, when Hami did these special editions, part of his reasoning for doing it was that he wanted to put together something that was historically accurate, in a way, for what we saw on screens in the 70s. Um, I don't really care about that. I just want the version that kicks the most ass. <laughs> so I don't, I'm not against CG alterations uh, on principle. Um, but this stuff was from, you know, I mean, these editions came out in 97, so let's call them mid-90s uh, CG special effects. It just it pokes you straight in the eyeball. Like as soon as you see it, you go like, there's some mid-90s CG. Uh, so to have all that stuff out, it was, it was great. And it, it's, it's so funny that, I mean, I, I'm putting a lot of time and effort into these new films at the moment because uh, I've just, it's been such a fun and fresh time uh, with all this new stuff that I really like. But, um, so, you know, you, the first time you watch a film is not the same as the second or the third or the fourth time you watch a film. But the fun thing with Star Wars is like, the, like the 50th time you watch it is not the same as the 22nd time you watch the film. Like every time I have a slightly different experience. And last night, you know, I think I've heard um, 
you know, it's been quite a popular thing to have people who've never seen the movies watch them and then kind of comment on them or get interviewed about what they thought about it. And sometimes you hear people say about episode four, like, oh my god, it's really slow. Um, in 77, it was considered a, super, a very fast-paced film, but uh, here in 2020, when you watch it, um, it's pretty slow. Um, uh, and I gotta say, I really loved that. I love that pacing. Um, I like fast movies too, but uh, just this kind of that's that sense of uh, isolation that you get on Tatooine, especially, is fantastic. The yellowish skin tones did bother me a bit throughout the film, um, but overall, I can for sure say that that this was a a better episode four experience for me than the special editions. Um, again, I'm not being a purist. I'm not a like like your old stuff better than your new stuff type. Um, I just like what you know what feels right to me. Um, so it, it's frustrating that it has to be this um, complicated process uh, to just sit down and watch a classic film that you've loved for 40-something years. Um, like, why, do, why can't I just like crack open the Blu-ray, put it in, and watch it? Uh, it's a bit, a bit annoying, to be honest. Um, because there's, I mean, there's lots of things about the special edition that I like better. Like the um, the work they did on the sky on Tatooine, it's, on the special edition, is fantastic. It really adds to the um, the atmosphere and the beauty of it. Um, so yeah, there are things in the episode four special edition that you know I kind of if I could have the option of choosing to keep some and leave others, there is a, there's stuff that I would like to keep in there. But on balance, I'm going to say that the special edition for me is a better Star Wars experience of episode four. So check them out if you get the chance. Um, the next film in my saga rewatch is, of course, The Empire Strikes Back. And luckily for The Empire Strikes Back, it's a very simple situation. Not a lot of decision making required. I actually have pretty much no issues with the special edition of The Empire Strikes Back. I think that um, all the work they did to update the visual quality is fantastic. Um, the extra Wampa shot that we get, I think, is seamless. Doesn't uh, jump out of the film and wave its arms around like Jabba the Hutt does in the in the episode four special edition, um, the I think there's one shot on Cloud City, you know the 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 Falcon's approach that looks a bit CG-ish. Uh, yeah, but overall, I think the Empire special edition doesn't have much that uh, messes with the experience. So uh, that's the one I'm going to be watching. And then once we get to re to Return of the Jedi, it's definitely going to be uh, special, uh, despecialized edition for that one. But we'll get to that when we get to that. All right, here we go. There we are ready now for uh, the part of the show where we do where we do um, 
films scene by scene. Now, I I haven't I don't think I've really made it that clear, but uh, just so people know, I'm not doing it the way you would for a, like a film um, commentary where you hit play and you just let it play and you talk and whatever you have time to fit in is what you have time to fit in. Um, I am pausing and unpausing as I go. Um, so uh, that's if you're trying to figure out how I can speak as long as I do about <laughs> like 30 seconds of Star Wars. That's why I am pausing and unpausing as I go. Um, we left off last time with uh, Leia and Ray talking after that training scene. And we open now with Ray. She's got the Jedi texts, and you can see behind her the Tantive Four. How do you pronounce that? I say the, the Tantive Four. A lot of people say the Tantive Four. I am aware that the, um, the audio drama from back in the 80s, I think, in that it was pronounced Tantive Four. All right. That seems weird to me, um, but pronounce it however you like. So here we go. Ray looking at the texts with the Tantive Four in the background. Um, yes, we've got uh, the Rebel pilot there. Ray, the Falcon's back. You see um, Poe's orange X-Wing there. A lot of people running. JJ's good at putting people running in scenes, I've noticed. <laughs> this is gold. Come on. I mean... There are people who have issues with this movie, but come on. This scene with the, the the Falcons just all on fire and this uh how'd it go? Really bad actually. <laughs> it's just I mean, Oscar Isaac, what a charming dude. That guy, like, I mean, he just has everything you want in a movie star. <laughs> I can't believe it. I can't I mean, BBA is like missing a panel or two. And Poe's more upset about BBA missing a panel or two than having like this uh, one of the most important ships in the history of uh, the Alliance on fire. I love that. Yeah, this is, mm, this is, yeah, again, like what the new films do super well. Uh, this like rapid fire banter stuff. JJ's great at um, teeing that stuff up. Um, <laughs> Chewy in the background. This is. But I feel I feel sorry for Finn. He's stuck between these two. Um, no spy. No spy. Yep, again, there's lots of people running in the background there. This is funny, like... Yeah, it's funny that they set up this... Um, what would you call it? Uh, this conflict where Poe thinks that Ray should be out there on the front lines rather than back at base honing her uh, Jedi skills. Um, yep. I can see both sides of the argument on that one. Oh, this is cool. I love that you can see um, Admiral Akbar's son in the background. 
You can actually hear Paul call him Junior. Okay. Uh, here's a hint. If you're making Star Wars films, any of you out there happen to be working for Lucasfilm, congratulations, eh? Um, and uh, B, little tip, if you're having like kind of establishing shots or whatever, uh, put a little creature in the foreground. Um, that is really necessary to create the Star Wars vibe that you want. In this case, there was a tree, little lizardy creature hanging on it. There you go. Bam, you're in Star Wars country. All right. This is not a good line. <laughs> but I was just like, somehow Palpatine returned. And the audience is like, somehow. <laughs> Want to elaborate on that at all? Uh, okay, guess not. Yeah, I just... Look, I love the sequel trilogy, and I love The Rise of Skywalker, but damn, it would have been pretty nice if they had um, decided on this whole Palpatine thing from the beginning um, to sow the seeds of... His uh, return throughout those films would have really sold it. I think in terms of the timing of it, what I would have liked to have seen, I mean, you see all these Sith acolytes and followers or whatever that Palpatine has on Exegol. I would have liked maybe a bit of a, um, a subplot to have been that uh, you see these cloaked figures kind of uh, pursuing Rey throughout, uh, you know, once she leaves Jakku, and is, uh, gets embroiled in intergalactic matters, maybe word gets out that uh, someone who fits the description of who uh, Palpatine is looking for um, is out there. And then you see these figures trying to uh, follow her or get information on her. And then uh, maybe that ramps up until we get the end of episode 8, at which point the fact that Palpatine is alive gets revealed in a massive reveal that is super cool and exciting and that's where you end episode eight and then so when episode nine kicks off you've already done that and uh you don't have to have this kind of rushed feeling having said that uh, yeah i love i still i still love it yeah here we go dark silence dark silence cloning this dominic monaghan character <laughs> I don't know what it is, but it's something about the fact that he's got like a dark colored beard and then his hair seems to have like blonde highlights. It just makes me think of like, like dodgy people living like, like he would be living somewhere near the beach and he would offer you massages. I love that actor. He's, he's great in Lord of the Rings and tons of other stuff, but uh, I don't love the character in this movie. Um, his lines, you know, dark magic, cloning, secrets only the Sith, the Sith knew. I, I talked about this, I guess, in episode one or something. Doesn't. At the end of the day, I'm kind of okay that they didn't go into detail about how Palpatine survived and returned, but uh, it is kind of incredible to me that they thought that they thought that this was gonna fly, really. 
Um, yep, he mentioned here. Paul mentions the final, the name of the the final order. I like that. That's a great, great name for that. Exegol is a name that sounded clunky to me, or McClunky. There you go, McClunky. Um, but uh, I gotta say, you know, it's one of those names that started off sounding awkward to me, but I am into it now. Uh, I run, it rolls off the tongue all right to me. Yeah. Here we go. Here we, I mentioned on the last episode that uh, Maz is a, uh, a practical effect now, a puppet, if you will. Ah, great to see her. I wish we could see we could have seen more of Maz. She's awesome. All right, I'm going to keep going because they've got this uh, this this scene with uh, Leia and Ray. I think it's cool. Uh, basically, I we get to a point where Ray's like, I have to go to Exegol, I have to deal with Palpatine, and Leia's kind of against that for some reason. And um, Ray says, I don't want to go without your blessing, but I will. I will. It's what you would have done. It's what you would do, she says. And I think at first I was a bit like, uh, it's a, one of those scenes where it kind of makes it, you know, it kind of reminds you that they're dealing, that, that, that layers scenes are built around uh, leftover footage because it feels a bit um, like, why is Leia against that idea? What else are they going to do? Um, but I did, if you think about it from the perspective of um, Leia already is aware of who uh, of Ray's heritage, actually, at this point. Um, so I guess she is very aware that Palpatine has to be dealt with, but maybe not super pumped about Ray, who is a Palpatine herself, going to do it. So um, it's a little bit of, um, you know, similar thing to Yoda and Obi-Wan telling Luke not to rush to face Vader because he wouldn't be able to handle the handle the decision if he find or handle the situation if he finds out the truth. Mm. All right. So that's one of my less favorite scenes in the film, I guess. Um I'm never uh too jealous of um of uh script writers of you know when they have to deal with exposition. That must be a real challenging thing to get it into the film in a way that feels organic. And it's not just a bunch of people standing around talking to the audience, basically. <laughs> yeah. All right. It'll be nice to uh, get on to whatever's next. Let me let's have a quick look. Ah, cool. Yeah. It's um, it's Ray, Finn, Poe, and uh, Chewie getting ready to leave, and you get some really nice scenes. Um, coming up. So that will be fun. All right. Um. That's episode four. Uh, it's been four episodes of just me by myself. I'm actually trying to um, organize people to come on as guests. Because um, uh, I've heard that conversations are quite good when there's two people. <sighs> I guess we'll give it a try. 
All right. But uh, everybody, thanks for listening. It's been fun. Uh, this is Star Wars fun for everyone. We'll see you next time. Ah, oh, I always screw up the end. See you next time on Star Wars fun for everyone, especially me. Ah!